Training camp is in the books, but there's still one preseason game left for the Seahawks coming up on Friday and a number of positional battles that remain undecided. Rob Rang and I are going to revisit those positional battles and restate our predictions on who's going to win the job heading into the 2022 season on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Wednesday episode, my co host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to the 12s, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We got a jam-packed episode coming your way as we gear up for the preseason finale. Rob and I are going to be checking out what's new with the Dallas Cowboys, the Seahawks' upcoming Friday opponent, a road opponent. Certainly going to be an intriguing game on a number of different fronts. And we're going to revisit several positional battles that have yet to be decided for the Seahawks. Have we changed in our opinions based on what has happened so far up to this point on who's going to win those battles? We'll find out later in the show. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Not a big surprise coming out of Seattle's Tuesday practice, but Trey time is going to have to wait a little bit longer. Trey Brown still on the pup list recovering from a patellar tendon injury he suffered in week 11 against the Cardinals a year ago, has not started full speed running, and we're only a few weeks away from the start of the regular season. It seemed very unlikely that he was going to be ready for the start of the season, and that's exactly what Pete Carroll indicated on Tuesday. So he is going to open the year on the pup list, which Rob means he's going to miss at least the first four regular season games. They've trimmed it from six to four, so he could be back a little quicker than earlier seasons with those new adjusted rules, but it's going to be a while until we see Trey Brown. And based on where things stand right now, I wouldn't be shocked if he misses more than that minimum of four games. Yeah, that's certainly a possibility. As you mentioned, uh, Trey Brown has just began running, uh, you know, and not even necessarily if at full speed. So certainly to to make that adjustment to to football speed, uh, it is going to take some time. That was the concern when he suffered that injury, as you mentioned, patella tendon injury. I mean, one of the bigger and more difficult uh, injuries to to come back from, especially from a position like cornerback, where there is so much stress, so much focus on change of direction and sudden acceleration uh you know i have every reason to believe that trey brown is going to be able to make a successful recovery but it is going to take some time it's one of the reasons why we have focused as much attention as we have throughout this process uh on seattle's rookie corners and, and the free agent additions that they've made and it's a, it's a testament to the seahawks really that they have had as much uh you know good play at that position as they have um, you know, bringing back Sidney Jones, Artie Burns, uh, you know, ha has been impressive. Mike Jackson as well. And then obviously the rookies and Tariq Wool and and, uh, and Kobe Bryant. That's the biggest reason why Seattle absolutely had 
to make those types of moves because they knew that Trey Brown was going to be, uh, you know, very likely to enter this upcoming season uh, on the pup list. It's unfortunate news, but it's not unexpected news. Um, but at the same time, because we have heard some positive news uh, regarding Brown in terms of his running, then I think that this is something that you can expect to see actually going to be able to get fortified in the secondary, probably about the midway point. Yeah, and as you mentioned, all the different names the Seahawks have at corner that really have excelled during training camp and the preseason, they're feeling pretty good about their depth. If you would have told me a month and a half ago that Trey Brown is not going to be ready for the start of the season, there would have been some concern on my end because you didn't know what you were going to get with Kobe Bryant and especially Tariq Woolen with how raw everybody thought he was coming out of UTSA. Sidney Jones has had one NFL season where he stayed healthy for more than 12 games. And so he's had his injury issues. Artie Burns has been very inconsistent in Pittsburgh, struggled much of his time there. Last year played well end of the season for Chicago, but he was only a starter for less than half the year and he was coming off a torn ACL. So you had tons of question marks there. And Trey Brown played so well in the five games that he played in as a rookie last year. Three of those were starts. Think about the clutch plays this kid came up with. When they were playing the Green Bay Packers, one of his first starts, it's a fourth down, and he's going up against a receiver that's got three or four inches and maybe 30 pounds on him and swats the ball away in fourth down, denies Aaron Rodgers from moving the chains. The Pittsburgh game, that was the first game he had ever played in. Third down, overtime comes up and blows up Ray Ray McLeod behind the line of scrimmage and forces a punt. It gives the Seahawks a chance to win in overtime. Obviously, they didn't do it, but this kid came through with really clutch plays, both as a run defender and in coverage. He had a 47% completion rate against him in those five games. No touchdowns allowed. So this kid looked like he was the future of the secondary, and he still might be in some capacity. But with the emergence of Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant and the other veterans that are on this roster the Seahawks are in a position where they don't have to force the issue. And I think that's maybe the biggest takeaway here. If they weren't comfortable with where their secondary was at, particularly the outside corners, then they might be trying to accelerate this recovery process a little bit. But with an injury like the one that Trey Brown is returning from, you can't afford to get cued and try to bring him back too early. And they don't have to now because they have much better depth than I think anybody could have anticipated. They're pretty excited about their corner group, and they're still excited about Trey Brown. He can still be part of this down the line, but he's not going to be making any contributions, at least those first four games, if not longer. Yeah, those first four games, that basically is guaranteed now with him starting the season on the pup list. Then after those first four games, the Seahawks basically have three weeks, 21 days uh, to make a decision. If uh, Trey Brown is unable to get back onto the field and be active during those next three weeks, then he'll be put on the IR and basically he's going to be wiped away for the, the entire year, which is a possibility, again, because this is a very talented group that the Seahawks have a cornerback and because just the significance of the injury the more likely scenario at least the more optimistic scenario for trey brown is that he is able to recover during those three weeks and then at that point he would count against your active 53 man roster at this point when you're on the pup list you do not count against that 53 man roster seattle can keep him and not have to worry about a salary a, a, a place on the on the initial 53 man roster uh for a player who obviously is not going to be able to contribute for you so seattle does have some time here that's why i mentioned it could be the middle of the season basically 
seven weeks into the regular season in which we might be seeing Trey Brown or at least some decision at that point. But I love that you mentioned Kobe Bryant there because that's the type of savviness that we did see out of Trey Brown last year. And the specific examples that you gave, he is just a really aware player. Uh, you know, and you expect that. I mean, considering how many starts he had and the caliber that he uh, of of play that he faced, you know, Oklahoma. But at the same time, he has elite speed, four three kind of a guy, as well as the awareness that Kobe Bryant possesses. So you're right, Corbin. If assuming that he is able to come back healthy, that's obviously the big caveat here. But if he does, I still believe that Trey Brown has a very very bright future. He just happens to have some also very talented players in Seattle secondary to compete with. Yeah, the situation is fluid, too, because you don't wish injuries on anyone, but we know that players get banged up. And if there's a corner or two by week five, week six, that is dealing with an injury, then the Seahawks are going to be welcoming Trey Brown back with open arms. Come back in. If they have a struggle at slot corner, this is a guy that can play inside and out. Maybe that's where he ends up fitting back in to the puzzle here for the Seahawks. So this is certainly a fluid situation. First and foremost, you want to make sure that you don't rush him back too early. Make sure he's 100% healthy, that he's running full speed, and that he is truly ready to come back. And once you reach that point, then you can try to figure out where can we fit him in in our secondary, and then you can make some tough decisions at that point. But right now, what we do know, Trey Brown will not be in uniform for at least the first four games. And this was expected as we went deeper into training camp. It just became obvious the updates from Pete Carroll just were less and less optimistic. Not bad necessarily, but clearly not running full speed. You got to be able to do that to play in the NFL. So he is not close enough right now to be even within grasp of that first game for the Seahawks. So he's going to open the year on the pup list. And certainly we're wishing him well in his recovery and that he can contribute for the Seahawks at some point this upcoming season. Coming up next, the Seahawks have a number of positional battles that are still being staged even after training camp with the preseason finale coming up. Cornerback is one of those that certainly has a starting spot still up for grabs. Rob and I are going to be revisiting five of those positional battles and maybe changing up some of our predictions. We'll see where things stand compared to the beginning of training camp, but repredicting who's going to win those positional battles coming up next here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. As you gear up for the fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business grow and fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. As a former site manager and current podcast host, I've made plenty of hires over the years, and LinkedIn has always been a go-to for me to find top candidates in sports media. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add to your job and the purple hiring framed hashtag to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so the network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rated LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. However you play, get the latest NFL fantasy draft tips from Locked On Fantasy Football and Locked On Dynasty. Plus, starting August 22nd, we're bringing you daily top 10 lists for fantasy draft week. Locked On Fantasy Football and Locked On Dynasty, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. We're now past training camp. The Seahawks obviously have a few more weeks worth of practice before the real bullets start flying in week one. Denver Broncos, Russell Wilson coming to Lumen Field. You've got a preseason finale coming up on Friday. So there's still a lot at stake. There's certainly some things still to get through before we get to the regular season. And there's still a bunch of positional battles up for grabs. We've talked about a certain quarterback position extensively throughout training camp. That is yet to be decided. So to kickstart this segment here, Rob, we've dished out our predictions at the beginning of training camp, who we thought was going to win a number of positional battles. Now we're going to revisit those after training camp, heading into this preseason finale. And you and I are going to have an opportunity to either stick with our guns or maybe make a change on who we think is going to win these jobs. Let's start with that aforementioned quarterback position. We've got Drew Locke and we've got Geno Smith still engaged in this all-out competition. Drew Locke had a little bit of a hiccup with the COVID test last week, didn't get to play against the Chicago Bears. But Rob, he is still very much in the mix here. The door has been kept open for him to win this job. Sounds like there's a very good chance he's going to start that preseason finale against the Cowboys. Looking at where we are at right now in this quarterback competition, who do you think has the edge heading towards week one? I think the player who has the edge, Corbin, <clears throat> it would be Geno Smith, just because, of course, he is the healthier player. He is the safer player. He is, in some ways, I think, Pete Carroll's security blanket at the quarterback position. My argument from the from day one, ever since Seattle made the trade that uh, sent Russell Wilson to Denver and obviously uh, sent Drew Locke here to Seattle, was that Drew Locke was now the most talented quarterback on Seattle's roster, and that includes Geno Smith. And I've seen nothing in the two preseason practices, the training camp practices that I've had an opportunity to watch uh, the preseason game um, early on uh, that has suggested anything other than that, that the Drew Locke is the more gifted passer. He has the better arm, which is not the slide to, to Geno Smith. He has a great arm, um, but Drew Locke has the better arm. He is the, the, the quick, he has a quicker release of the football. He's more accurate. Um, obviously he has led to scoring drives um, and, and thrown touchdowns and Geno Smith is not despite twice as many plays. Plays, uh, from under center in, in the preseason. All of that said, uh, you know, I, I think that what, what Pete Carroll said during the, the uh, during the, the, the press conference today uh, about the fact that he feels like he has two number ones in the quarterback position. Uh, I read your article, Corbin. I mean, you, you said it. I mean, the, you know, Pete Carroll is old enough to know that if you have two quarterbacks and you don't really have one, um, but at the same time. I think that we have shown flashes to both quarterbacks. So I think that this is a still very much wide open. I think if either one of those two quarterbacks greatly outperforms the others against Dallas Cowboys or in the practices after that, then I think that he is likely to be the starter. I also think that with Pete Carroll saying it the way that he did, I think that there's a very good chance that, that Seattle is going to continue their evaluation into the regular season. So what I'm saying here is if it is Geno Smith who winds up being the starter uh, against 
against Russell Wilson, the Denver Broncos, week one in the NFL regular season. I would not be surprised at all if Drew Locke is the guy who comes in at halftime, regardless of who's ahead or behind in that game. I think that Seattle is looking at taking the long view of this, the 17 regular season week view of this, rather than saying you have to be ready uh, you know, the start of the season. So, again, I still believe that when it's all said and done this year, Drew, Drew Locke is going to have more touchdowns, less interceptions, more starts, more wins for the Seahawks. But at the same time, I would not be surprised at all if Geno Smith winds up being the starter in day one. And I've been saying since the beginning of this process that Geno Smith was going to be the starter. But one thing that I'm going to change my tune on as well, kind of going off what you said, and I disagree with you at the beginning of training camp, and I don't think this is what the Seahawks want to have happen, but I can envision this turning into a situation where Geno Smith starts in week one. I don't know that they would pull the plug on him at halftime in that season opener, but if they aren't able to put points on the board consistently, they're going to want to see what Drew Locke can do at some point running this offense. And so I think that's where I've changed my tune. There's still a chance if Geno Smith starts that season opener and he plays well, that maybe he can hang on to this job for the entire season. I think it's very likely he's going to be the guy in week one, in large part because Locke would just put an incredible disadvantage with that COVID test last week and not being able to play. I think Geno's the guy in week one, but I am opening up to the possibility that Drew Locke might be your guy as early as week two, week three, week four, somewhere in there, depending on this offense plays. They're going to have to be much more productive than they've been in the preseason. A lot of that has not been Geno Smith's fault, but at the same time, you got to be able to elevate your teammates. And Drew Locke, in brief appearances, has looked like maybe he might have the ability to do that. I'm still going with Geno, but this is one that might be fluid going into the season. I don't know if that's what the Seahawks want, but certainly the always compete mantra is going to be playing out at quarterback. Now, staying on the offensive side of the ball, protecting either Geno Smith or Drew Locke, the right tackle position. We've had a chance to talk about this quite a bit over the past few weeks, but it really feels like at this point, Rob, that this is leaning heavily in the direction of their third round pick. It does feel that way. And I'm, I'm surprised to say it. Uh, you know, I, I really advocated for Jake Curran because I think he's a good football player. Um, but I think that Abraham Lucas has gone up and seized this job. It's not that Abraham Lucas has played terribly. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he's played fairly well. There have been some miscues. Um, and, and part of that is because the fact that they have mit- moved him inside to play right guard at times. Um, but at the same time, I think that the only reason that you would do that is because you just feel so confident in what the rookie Abraham Lucas has done at right tackle. I mean, Pete Carroll's talked about it. He's get, had opportunities to kind of, uh, you know, lock his first round pick Charles Cross and instead he's kind of switched over and talked about Abraham Lucas and and I understand why there was the negativity about him as a run blocker coming from Washington State's offense but you know every time I watched him on offense I saw a guy who was a mauler at the point of attack I'm not surprised at all by the pancakes that we're, we're seeing he's a good football player and a mean nasty guy uh, I think that he's exactly what, what Seattle needs you know we talked about those that need for those junkyard dog kind of guys you're having a homegrown one here in Abraham Lucas. So yeah, I, I remain a big fan of Jake Curran, but at the same time, I think that the best right tackle on their team is clearly Abraham Lucas, at least over the first couple of weeks of the preseason. I thought eventually that Lucas was going to take this job, but I thought Curran had a really good chance to at least hold on to it going into the start of the regular season. And yet here we are. I surprised some of our listeners on our episode yesterday when I picked Abraham Lucas as my top rookie rather than Tariq Woolen. And that's not a shot at Tariq Woolen. He's been fantastic 
But Abraham Lucas has been even better, in my opinion. I think he's been the better of the two rookie tackles, not just the fact that he hasn't been getting penalized near as much, but he's been bulldozing people in the run game. It hasn't mattered if it's been zone or man concept. I don't care if it's second and third stringers, sometimes fourth stringers. He's bullying NFL caliber players in the run game. That's way more than I expected to see at this point. And I think the other thing he's got working for him, which is much more expected, he has been extremely sharp in pass protection in these first two preseason games. And I'm going to keep leaning on this. On Sunday's practice in pads, the Seahawks finally did one-on-one drills, offensive line and defensive line. They have only maybe done that one other time in this training camp, which is surprising because that's normally something they do a lot at Pete Carroll's practices. And they have not this year but he was easily the best offensive lineman during that drill. And he was going against Daryl Taylor for a good chunk of that time. He stonewalled Daryl Taylor in one-on-ones three different times. And everybody that went against him, he was, he was winning these battles decisively. So he's done nothing but impress me throughout this. So I don't even think this is a competition at this point, to be honest with you, Rob. I think that Abraham Lucas has won this job. I think he's your starter in week one across from Charles Cross. Third time since 1970, you're going to have two rookie tackles. It's going to happen for the Seattle Seahawks. I think that he has locked up that job. One last one here on offense, and this one's a little different. We've had individual player matchups here, but this one, we're going to go D. Eskridge against the rest of the field. Who is going to be the Seahawks' third receiver? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Corby. And I kind of like the uh, D. Eskridge versus the rest of the field. And I think that it just kind of speaks to how jumbled up the, the second part of Seattle's receiving core is. I mean, we, we've had a conversation just yesterday that the kind of incumbent number three receiver, Freddie Swain, that he might be a guy who's on the roster bubble for crying out loud. Uh, you know, we have what for our YouTube viewers, they can see that we have a picture here alongside D. Eskridge of, of Penny Hart, who has had a terrific. Uh, training camp, uh, you know, really stood out not only uh, as a receiver, but on special teams as well. Uh, he's kind of the antithesis of D. Eskridge, who, well, let's face it, as, as a second round pick, uh, you know, we, we've been he's been built up as having all of this dynamic talent. And there's no question that he does, but you just haven't seen any type of performance here. Whereas with, with Penny Hart as an undrafted free agent out of you know Georgia State, uh, you know, he has had to kind of work his way up. So I, I think that the smart money, if we were going to use betting terms, would still probably be on D. Eskridge. Obviously, that's who the Seahawks want to be the guy. And you do see flashes of his explosiveness. But at the same time, I think that that's one of the reasons why Seattle made the trade for J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Obviously, Arcega-Whiteside and the two receivers we're talking about here are very, very different type guys. But it is an absolute demand by the Seahawks that somebody step up behind D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett at the wide receiver position, or they will go outside of the roster and find some other players. I think that D. Eskridge, even though, again, you are physically built very, very different than J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, that was a shot. That was a, a heads up. you got to play and so otherwise it is going to be perhaps the, somebody else on the rest of that list yeah I'm going to go with D. Eskridge in this one simply because I don't think another receiver has done enough to really seize that number three job away from him I joked about this it really isn't a joke D. Eskridge sitting out that second preseason game probably was chuckling on the sideline because he's not practicing he's not playing and none of these other players are capitalizing on this opportunity like I thought Derek Young with the camp that he's had if he could have gone out and had another really good game 
that is a player that suddenly starts vaulting into that conversation. And maybe that still happens. I think he's got the upside if he's developed properly to be that type of player, but the Penny hearts, of the world, I'm a big Penny heart fan. I just don't know that his ceiling is as a number three receiver, Freddie Swain. We were talking about him being on the bubble a little bit on yesterday's show. He has certainly not done enough. Marquise Goodwin is hurt. Who knows when he's going to be able to get back on the field. So nobody has really seized that opportunity. So to me, D. Eskridge is still that guy as your third receiver. Now let's get to the defensive side of the football. And there's not much drama in the trenches. There's not much drama at linebacker. I mean, at least in terms of starters, you got to figure out your depth. But the secondary, there's plenty of depth. Rob, let's start at that right cornerback spot, which Artie Burns seemed to have a pretty good stranglehold on that right cornerback position. And yet, Tariq Woolen has jumped in and done nothing but impress. He's played in the first team defense the last couple of weeks with Burns being banged up. And the momentum seems to be on the rookie side now. Yeah, I, I think there's no question about it. I mean, Tariq Wool has just seized that opportunity. We talked about this before Abraham Lucas. And at the same time, the, for the, the reason why I think that uh, that Seattle is going to be very, very hesitant to to start two rookie off the tackles, as you mentioned earlier, you know, the third time since the early 70s that that's happened. I mean, to do that on Monday Night Football against a pass rush that includes, you know, earlier, uh, you know, top picks like uh, Bradley Chubb, Randy Gregory, I mean, some really good football players in the Broncos and then at the same time here at the cornerback position you really want to start a rookie Tariq Woolen against Russell Wilson I mean knowing full well how good he is yeah. I mean, my goodness Tariq Woolen is just unbelievable talent but at the same time, you you do, I think, trust the, the veteran Artie Burns, even though he is coming off the injury. And that's that's the caveat. Artie Burns has got to be impressive in this, uh, you know, in this game against Dallas and certainly in the in the, the, the training camp practices or camp practices that Seattle still has leading up to that game. Tariq will have been really, really excited about him, but I still think it's a little bit too raw to put out there on Monday Night Football in this NFL debut. I would have agreed maybe a week ago, but I've just reached the point, throw Tariq in the fire. And I know that that's a scorching fire with Russell Wilson on the other side, the receiving talent he's got. But Woolen has just passed every single test in this process. Even when he struggled that first preseason game, we saw the missed tackles. We saw the blown coverage assignment. What's he do? He comes back in the Chicago game. And he's targeted three times, doesn't give up a completion, makes two really nice tackles. I mean, he put the onus on his shoulders. I have to be better in both of these areas. And he went out and he did it. And I know it's just a preseason game, but I've watched this kid practice in, practice out, coming up with big plays. I've watched him go head-to-head -head with DK Metcalf on numerous occasions. And when he has done that, he has won a large chunk of those battles, including in the red zone drill. You can tell that DK Metcalf's like, man, I've met my match. And you just don't see corners that match up well with him. I've seen him run with faster, shiftier receivers, and he's got the athleticism to do it. So, yes, there are going to be some growing pains. Russell Wilson might put him to school in that first game. But I'm taking that risk at this point. I think he has earned that job. And I think now that Artie Burns is unfortunate because I think he would have been the guy without the injury, but that was the door that opened up for Tariq Woolen to be the number one. And I just can't see Pete Carroll being willing to take him back out of the lineup. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. But when you have a toy that's six foot four with 33 and a half inch arms that can run like Tariq Woolen and has had the ball production he's had in training camp in the preseason, 
I just don't know how you keep him off the field. Real quick, one last one, Rob. Staying in the secondary, the slot cornerback position. We could have included Marquise Blair in here, but he hasn't really been a factor. It feels like this is now a two-horse race. We've got the veteran in Justin Coleman going up against the rookie, Kobe Bryant. Who do you think's got the edge here? Well, for the same reason, I just made an argument for Artie Burns. I, I think the initial edge is for Justin Coleman, but but similar to the you know passion argument that you just laid out for Tariq Woolen. I mean, you have me convinced as well. I mean, I absolutely love Tariq Woolen's upside. I just think that the those, those peaks are amazing. The valleys are disturbing, and I haven't seen the nor the normal peaks and valleys in Kobe Bryant's play. He, he hasn't struck me as a rookie at any point uh, during this entire process. It's always been level-headed i haven't been as impressed in justin coleman's training camp so far i think that if if you were to take the jerseys off of both these players i think that you could make the argument that kobe bryant's been the better more consistent player in terms of run defense in terms of pass coverage in terms of special teams i think that kobe bryant has a real chance to be a quote-unquote starter at that nickel slot uh cornerback position that's the guy i'm gonna go with i can't believe i'm saying start a rookie even if it's a nickel position start a rookie against russell wilson and i certainly would have a hard time starting two of them um, if we're going to refer back to Tariq Woolen for a moment. But at the same time, I just think that Kobe Bryant has seized this position. Yeah, I lean towards picking Bryant here to go with Woolen, just start two rookie corners. But what has happened the past few practices, Kobe Bryant has not been playing with the ones. It has been Justin Coleman, and that is revealing to me at this stage in training camp, going out of training camp to this preseason finale. Pete Carroll's talking about the starters getting most of the reps now, leaning towards the regular season mode. Justin Coleman is the one getting those opportunities. I thought Kobe Bryant looked really good in the slot in that second preseason game, though. So I don't think this feels like a keep the seat warm type arrangement where I think Justin Coleman is the starter early in the season. But like you argued at quarterback, I think there's a very good chance that Kobe Bryant takes the reins at some point in the slot because they're not going to be able to keep those rookies off the field. I could see him and Woolen both being factors in the secondary by week three, week four range and being starters the rest of the season as long as they stay healthy. So I think he's got a great chance to play a lot of snaps for the Seahawks this year in the slot. I think they'll go with the constant veteran, though, to start off in Justin Coleman. Coming up next, we got a preseason game, a finale coming up in Dallas. The Cowboys. Certainly have undergone some significant changes this offseason on both sides. The football might not see many of those new additions and might not be impacted by the departures, but we're going to take a look at what's new with the Cowboys and their draft class as well when we return. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, even golf. Bet online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. Bet Online, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Join me for today's show. Rob Rang. Thanks as always to the 12s for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast hosted by the intellectual fantasy expert himself, Vinny Iyer. He brings over 20 years of NFL expertise and a unique angle to give you the moves no one else has. Get ready for your fantasy draft with Locked On Fantasy Football, 
available anywhere you listen to podcasts. The Seahawks have their preseason finale coming up in a couple of days, a Friday night battle royale with the Dallas Cowboys. And usually the third preseason game, there's very little at stake. A lot of times it's your third and fourth stringers playing almost the entire game. But at least for Seattle, with what happened to Drew Locke last week and what's at stake at a quarterback position, this does feel a lot different than a typical third preseason game. So maybe we should pay a little bit more attention to this upcoming opponent, the Dallas Cowboys, a team that has Super Bowl aspirations coming into this season as they should with the talent they have on both sides of the football coming off a dominant season that unfortunately ended for them in the divisional round, losing to the San Francisco 49ers. They have undergone a lot of changes, and I think if you look from a free agency and trade perspective, uh, there's been a lot more players that have left than have been brought in to bolster this roster. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, when you think of the Dallas Cowboys the last couple of years, you think of Dak Prescott and, and Zeke Elliott, and obviously those guys are still there, but we're not likely to see those players. You're not going to see Amari Cooper, of course. He's no longer on the roster. C.D. Lamb um, is not likely to play. Some of the other uh, dynamic receivers on this on this team, uh, Michael Gallup, James Washington was brought over as a free agent. He's been injured as well. This is going to look like a Dallas Cowboys, at least on offensively that um, you know maybe might be something that Seattle can get a little bit of confidence going up against them but on the defensive side of the ball Corbin where obviously there's going to be so much interest from Seattle's perspective what Drew Locke is able to do they're going against a very familiar foe in the defensive coordinator Dan Quinn and he has got a a, a terrific pass rush again I'm not, I'm not expecting to see guys like Micah Parsons the reigning defensive rookie of the year or a Demarcus Lawrence but still, the, the secondary is full of ball hawks, and some of those guys may wind up playing the Dallas Cowboys. And again, as I mentioned before, Dan Quinn, he is noted for his development of defensive linemen. And the Cowboys selected a player in the second round in Sam Williams. I was really, really high on. Um, I, I expect him to have a kind of a splashy performance. I think this is a kind of a fascinating matchup for Seattle to, to end with, um, just because of the fact that there is so much attention at the quarterback position. But you look at Dallas, and they invested their first round pick in offensive lineman, just like Seattle did. Obviously, Seattle going with Charles Cross. Dallas went with Tyler Smith, a, a very raw left tackle at Tulsa that's going to slide inside left guard, not likely to play in this game, had some type of soft tissue injury. But then they go with the pass rusher, as I mentioned, in Sam Williams. They have a, a cornerback in the late rounds in Deron Bland from Fresno State. Kind of similar in some ways, the way that Seattle took their, you know, their defensive backs a little bit later in the draft that have some upside here. So I'm really curious to kind of watch the Cowboys uh, you know, match up against Seattle and see if the Seahawks are able to develop any kind of momentum on the offensive side of the ball against a really talented defense. Yeah, the real question is going to be who's going to be out there on the field because the Cowboys are in a much different situation than the Seahawks are. Again, this is a team that's got very high expectations coming off of an NFC East championship. They are viewed as one of the front runners in an NFC that, quite frankly, is charm and soft after you look at the first couple teams with the departures of players like Russell Wilson out of Seattle and some of the other big moves that have happened uh, Matt Ryan leaving Atlanta, not that the Falcons were a contender anyway, but this is a conference that's certainly in transition right now. You've got a handful of teams that are elite. Dallas is clustered in that group. And so with those expectations, even the departures they had, and they had some big ones. I mean, Randy Gregory, obviously he's had off-field issues that have kept him from reaching his potential, but this is a guy when he's been on the field has been an impact player. 
they're going to feel not having him as one of their pass rushers. And they've got some big losses on offense. Amari Cooper, obviously, had kind of fallen out of favor a little bit, was not playing up to the money they were paying him. He's now with the Cleveland Browns, going to be catching passes from Jacoby Brissett and eventually Deshaun Watson. They've got some other injuries like Michael Gallup. Maybe he'll be back early in the season, but it's looking like he's going to miss some time as he still returns from an ACL tear. So this is a team that is going to look nothing like the one that will be out there in the regular season. You're certainly not going to see much of Dak Prescott, if any, but you could see some of these young players. And this is a draft class you mentioned that has some players that I know both of us were really intrigued by. Sam Williams was high on my list for pass rushers. I loved the film that I saw at Ole Miss. Now, he had some baggage coming out of college. So that was something that concerned me a little bit. Is that a kind of player that you want to add to your roster? But talent-wise, you couple him with Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons, that has a chance to be a three-headed monster for them. Tyler Smith could be a really solid guard right away if he's healthy. I want to outline the tight end Jake Ferguson, though, in round four. And I think we'll get to see him in this preseason game. You may remember from our pre-draft process, I was extremely high on Jake Ferguson. I think he's a fantastic tight end. Did not have a great combine workout, but I don't give a damn. He's a good football player. And (laughs) this is a team that's already got some good tight ends, but I think Jake Ferguson could be just another weapon for Dak Prescott that's also going to be able to open up holes in the run game. He's an all-around tight end. Coming from Wisconsin, you got to be able to run block to play at Wisconsin. And so Ferguson is a player that I'll be interested to watch, especially going against some of Seattle's overhang defenders in the run game that'll be a pretty good test for them going against a well-rounded rookie no it absolutely will and we've talked about how the the linebacker position is, is something that seattle needs to work on uh you know needs to focus a great deal of attention on so i think that this is going to be an opportunity to do so the the cowboys besides dak prescott have three other quarterbacks likely competing for two spots um so i think that that's going to be really a highly competitive situation so we're going to get some looks there um i, I just think that you know because we're talking about the possibility that Seattle may have four or, or more rookie starters, then how do they handle the big lights? Uh, we, we talked about the Nick Lee and I mentioned this before, you know, leading up to the, the preseason game against the Pittsburgh Steelers and that away game. And then obviously Charles Cross winds up having four false starts in his first home game. So again, when you're talking about Jerry world, I mean, for a lot of these <laughs> young, young men, you know, when they think of the NFL, they think of the Dallas Cowboys, the star. And I, I get that, you know, Drew Locke kind of grew up not too far from around these areas. And he had a pretty big bowl game um, against, uh, you know, some of the teams from around this area as well. He's got some, some history here as well. There, there's so much on the line, so many emotions for this game. So many of the veteran players who know this might be their final opportunity for NFL spot. The, the third preseason game, when I, I understand from media and a fan perspective, it can be a bit of a yawner, but it is the most exciting in terms of, uh, you know, just the emotional pitfalls, uh, you know, and, and the highs and lows as it gets, really, when you start to see these men as men rather than just as numbers on a football team. And, and so that's the biggest thing about this game, I think, is going to be fascinating again, because this is the Dallas Cowboys, just like it was the Pittsburgh Steelers before. And, and so those two, and the Chicago Bears for that matter, I mean, Seattle, the, the Three teams that Seattle has faced off against from a young man's perspective trying to make the NFL are three of the most iconic clubs in the entire league. And I think that that is something to be said here as Seattle is especially trying to do this youth movement and see if they can rely on these guys to be those type of players for them. 
And I've talked to a few players on the Seahawks that have had the privilege of playing at Jerry World, and it really is a different experience. It's a different experience in the press box, too. I mean, they have drink machines at every single stall, and I've never seen anything like that. I mean, Jerry Jones, it's top of the line in everything in that stadium. And so the rookies, your newcomers are going to be looking at that jumbotron that gets hit with punts so many times because of how large it is. That is a different animal. That's a different beast for an NFL player. So maybe there will be some of those under the lights uh, nerves, even though it's their third game. There might still be that in the stadium that they're playing in. And even for the Cowboys players, you know, playing in front of the star and being able to play under that jumbotron, just one of the most classic venues out there. And it's a great opportunity. Obviously, a lot of these players you mentioned is probably going to be the last chance that they have to play in an NFL field. And that'll kind of lead into what we're going to have on our Thursday episode. Who's got the most at stake going to this game? Going to be talking a little bubble watch in and out, which players going into this game are on the roster, which ones are not. And we're going to have an in-depth preview on Seahawks versus Cowboys. You won't want to miss it. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. You can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. We'll be back with that preview coming up on our Thursday episode, Seahawks-Cowboys preseason finale. Will Drew Locke be starting? We should know a little bit more about what to expect in that game on tomorrow's show. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.